Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We say things that don't mean anything, but thanks for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Say Things, episode 203. Suns fan here with the cinder... The Hello. man, the legend. That's me. Nice hiccup. Bless you. Yep, I'm good. Do you think there should be a phrase for when somebody belches? Like somebody sneezes, you say, bless you. I'm so mm. like gazuntide, whatever the term for your language is. For belching, there should be something, surely. I think you just say bless you as well. <laughs> <laughs> or good job, maybe. Mm? Congratulate them. High five. <laughs> No, it's it's like the second meaning of bless you, right? Like one is I hope you hope you know hope it gets better, and the other one is oh bless you, you know. Okay, sure. That's you. Whatever you belch, as, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, you uh, would. Yep. All right. Let's say thanks to our beautiful patrons on the Inbruge tier, including the likes of Namul Oracle Lull. I don't know what that means. The Shaz Cast. Suns fan Sauna Scrote, Mr. I Love the NBA Segment, Kareem Abpudge Jabbar. Monkey Man says gaming IQ is definitely a thing. I agree with Cinderin. I mean, I didn't say gaming IQ is not a thing. We just, I think the thing we disagreed on was the level of play that people would reach 100% of the time, right? Mm. Like the thing I did, I actually made a bad, ex- we're not going to get into this discussion now, but I just have to mention <laughs> just really quickly, very quickly, okay? I know that it's not easy for you to do something quickly. Okay. If my analogy, let's say you take a Hearthstone player and apply mm-hmm. the same logic. Any difference? Like a card game player. Does it matter? Does the genre of game matter at all? Because I think I it does. I still think if you're like absolute elite in one game, you can get good at any game. So no. I okay. don't think it makes a difference. Uh, where was I? Pepperballs, T-Coil, Q-Ludes would love some T-I We Say Things content in Seattle. Are you guys planning anything? Hashtag doubt. Keep your name as that because we're literally going to forget if we're invited to T-I to begin with. Stupid Copilot, D2 Bowie, Lab Dota, Yatoro does it again, Cinderin, Magdev loved the first Between the Lanes blog feature and hopes the next one talks about new player experience in time for T-I-12. I've been a Patreon for almost two years with the main purpose of supporting Dota and getting Valve off their asses. Did it work? Well, you supported us, so up for interpretation. You got us us off our asses. Disco Farm D and Retail Ronnie and the Deep Deep Discounts. And the Mega Pope. Well done on 200 shows. Now do one about why the International should be in New Zealand. TI in New Zealand. Zan Xavier, Nate Thicko, Zero One Hamscroach, Shark TM, Antiquely Seasoned Goat Balls, Janie, Dop, Nothing to See Here, Underscore Man, Guitar Strings, Yves Lamour, Ben, Bremhe- ben Broomhead, is Ben Broomhead, is Ben Broomhead, Wooden Aftertaste, Anonymous, and Edison had a role in the electric chairs development for humane purposes. 
Its inaugural use lasted approximately eight minutes, Mr. Niebling. Hmm. Uh, I actually, I remember reading it, or not reading it, I saw that in the movie. <laughs> it was a movie about Tesla. So it had mm -hmm. Edison in it, of course. I think I, I do remember something about that. Very interesting. Okay, uh, let's talk about 7.32 Bizzle, which came out... A year uh, ago. A couple days ago. That was 7.34 Bizzle. What did I say? 3.2. I don't know why you said that. Me neither. Let's Do you have a reading disorder? <laughs> Maybe. If all your fours look like twos. Yeah, it could be my <laughs> eyesight be very going. weird. That would also mean Glimmer Cape's cooldown for you increased from 12 seconds to 12 seconds. Yeah, true. Uh, so, which ones do you want to talk about? Anything, uh, you can take over this section. Any big one. Spirit Vessel, they changed the recipe again. Yeah. Mostly for Universal Heroes' dismay. To their dismay. Yeah, so they removed the second crown, and then they put a fluffy hat in there. So they made it cheaper, but it does give six less all attributes and then 125 health. Um... Most of the heroes that would buy this item would prefer the previous version. So this is just, in general, a nerf. Like, maybe some few supports can buy this cheaper now and enjoy it. But for the enjoy. most part, this is like an invoker, etc. item. Okay. Uh, I mean, the patch in general has a few small changes, right? I guess the main ones to look at are the ones that uh, the heroes that were really crushing it on win rate. And then we can quickly give a shout out to Dazzle, who gets 15 extra heal on Shadow Wave level 1, and therefore will still be completely untouched for another year. So congratulations to Dazzle I've, on being irrelevant for three or four years now. Are people playing it mid in the, in the pro scene at all? I don't think so. I have barely seen it. I have not seen years. it as support, but I've seen it as core in meh rank. So it doesn't it's, mean anything. Uh, I mean, this change makes it quite a bit better with very specific heroes like Naga and PL, like illusion-based carries that have illusions early on that you can heal bomb with, or Wraith King skeletons. Maybe there's something there, but it's like very niche. Um, they renamed Demonic Conversion because Enigma no longer converts creeps. Very important. Now it's called Demonic Summoning. So thank you for that. Big change. And they giga buffed it in terms of mana cost. Went from 140 level 1 to 75. Because Enigma got absolutely destroyed with this change. So they're trying to make it more playable. Um, Ghostwalk got very nerfed on numbers. But essentially, aside from that, Invoker still works roughly the same way. He lost an armor and the Wex cooldown no longer works on items. But he's still... The new Invoker is still very, very strong for sure. Um... Just scrolling through it quickly because most things are pretty small. So a couple of the heroes we talked about that were going to be boosted mega hard in win rate, one of them was Night Stalker. He got a nerf to his shard. That was the only change. Mana cost on it and a little longer, or 10 seconds longer cooldown, which is a lot, actually. Uh, but the base hero is still the same. And then we get to Sand King, who was the biggest winner of the patch, and now he's getting obliterated. So... Yeah. I read a comment about this from the community and it got me thinking, you know, it was an interesting perspective where people are like, there are some heroes that are seemingly allowed to be powerful in Dota for years on end or at least months on end. And then there's others that when they get buffed, they need to be nerfed so hard, so fast that Medusa comes to mind. Some sort of... Yeah, so 
I know it's difficult. So there's some heroes in Dota that have been re relevant for like really long, like Io, which isn't a broken pub hero, but it's just been a really good pro hero for like years and years and years. Um, and then you have some heroes. Sand King was a great example who hasn't really been particularly popular for a couple of years. He gets buffed a lot, too much, I would agree. But the nerfs now are so severe that I don't know how good he's going to be after this. Maybe he's still going to be good enough. Um, PA was Wait, starting to look a bit on. better now, let, and let, now she loses two Agin lifesteal. Let's talk about, on, yeah, the... So creeps. For PA, it's 40% penalty <coughs> lifesteal on creeps. The, it's consistent with other lifesteals, so that's fine. Mm. Uh, but she just loses two base agility, and again, it's like... This is not extreme, but it's a, a decent nerf on this hero, and I don't know how good she was actually getting. Maybe she was getting too good, but... Again, it was a very short time frame. She was buffed for like a week, and then she already gets this nerf. So what did you want to go Well, over? I wanted to talk about Sanking a little bit. So Burrow, mm -hmm. the damage was decreased by 20 at all levels, so that's also going to yeah. affect the Aghanim Scepter, which is was very strong. Mm -hmm. uh, the Sandstorm movement speed now scales. Instead of being 100 at all levels, it's now 25, 50, 75, 100, which you're still maxing that spell, but early on... I mean... I, did you think 100 moves who is OP? It's still really slow. Like, really fucking slow. And I don't know how meaningful that was on level 1 Sandstorm anyway, because of how small the radius was. But The shard also uh, was nerfed, so it does damage every 3.5 seconds instead of 2.5. And with it came a hilarious bug where if you... Did you see this one? Where if you purchased the shard and then leveled Epicenter your pulse would be going off like 10 times a second. So you just insta-kill everybody the rest of the game. That was in the game for a few nice. hours. Uh, I got to That's test been a similar that. bug with Epicenter in the past. The exact mm. same one. I don't know if it was for the same reason, but I remember when the shard came out with the movement-based shard, you could just kill people in a blink of an eye by moving around. I think maybe that one, the bug was that there was a zero missing or something. So it did... A pulse every 70 range instead of 700 or something mm. but it sounds like this one I don't, I don't actually know what caused it it's really weird so, i don't know if you agree with this i think the biggest nerf is the talent uh because so at 15 talent used to be 125 sandstorm radius and now it's 25 sandstorm move speeds so let's talk about this just a moment mm -hmm. so you get agonim scepter on this hero the 10 talent you usually will go for you can go for the dps on sandstorm but the one that is i think objectively considered the better one is the 0.4 second extra stun on burrow which is good mm -hmm. generally throughout the game and also with your agonim scepter then on the 15 yeah. talent you get the radius which before it didn't scale as well because there was i would consider that a bug but since this last patch uh the actual burrows are based off the like percentage of your aoe so it grows mm -hmm. with the aoe really fucking good talent and then replace it with I want to say the literal worst talent in the entire game, including level 10 talents. This is a 15 talent. You're increasing the move speed of the Sandstorm from 100 to 125, which is negligible. It's almost mm -hmm. nothing. This is yep. the worst talent in the game, in my opinion. Fucking I horrific. I would be tempted to agree. This sounds really bad. I, I um, took it today just to see... Just to yeah. put it to, just so I could say I tried it. I bet you it. couldn't even tell the difference. I could, but it's still garbage. You could. Okay. I mean, barely. Could have been placebo. Maybe it's not even working. 
It's horrible. And then on top of all of that, Sand King also lost two base damage, so he has a harder time getting CS and getting up to his first item, which is... It's always, or at least for a very long time, been really, really... One of the biggest reasons Sand King hasn't been popular is that his laning for a long time has been really weak. Um, and now with this, you also nerfed his laning, because as you talked about, he can't really move very much in the level 1 Sandstorm, he does less damage with his stun, and he loses base damage. So he just got like four nerfs in a row, uh, almost immediately after being becoming good. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, obviously, this is gonna his win rate is gonna take a huge hit with this. Um, but it's also it's a matter of whether this hero's weaknesses now are so severe that he went from being a potential interesting candidate for pro Dota to now kind of fading into obscurity again. Because uh, I was excited to see some more Sand King, but we'll see. Yeah, Maybe and I still. think Sand King. In my opinion, throughout the history of Dota, when it was, I, I don't even know if it was ever truly popular, but when it was picked professionally in competitive games, it's one of the most exciting heroes to watch for a couple reasons. Yeah. Obviously, you have like this huge epicenter, sandstorm, whatever combo for team fights, and that's great. There's a lot of heroes that have something like that. He's also very evasive. I remember like Dota 1 and the early stages of Dota 2. When you would watch like Woe Dota or of course Dota Cinema top plays, there would be two <laughs> heroes that would feel like they're very hard, like very hard to kill, and you can get mm -hmm. a bunch of kills while evading a lot of people. And that's Puck and Sand King. Yeah. And it's just a real shame because this is like we get to see fucking Medusa. Nobody gives a shit about Medusa. Yeah, it's great that she's played again. That's great that you get an extra hero played in the competitive scene. But to leave it that egregious for that this long, and then Sankin gets fucking dumpstered immediately. Very sad. Because one hero is actually fun to watch. The other is genuinely miserable. Nobody likes playing against it. Nobody likes watching it. Even the people that play it, they just have to pick it because it's good. Mm -hmm. They don't like playing it either. So <laughs> what's, what's the deal? Yeah. I mean... Let's let's give it a week or two with a new Sand King and see just how bad it is. But I think this is pretty severe, um, just from reading it. Usually when heroes are overtuned a bit and a new patch, maybe you nerf one aspect of them, maybe two. And Sand King just got nerfed to seemingly everything. Base stats, three different spells. One of them is obviously only on the shard, but it's an important part of the hero. And a talent that, as you pointed out, might be the worst talent in the game now. So... That's a lot to do in one fell swoop. And the problem for Sand King is that the alternative 15 talent he has, instead of the Sand King, uh, the Sandstorm movement speed, which he doesn't like anymore, or doesn't like compared to the alternative that he had, is Caustic Finale damage, which is very situational uh, as a talent as well. So it doesn't feel great to hit level 15 a Sand King, I think, overall. Yeah, the, talk to me about that talent. Why, why is that even a thing? It feels like you're already killing creep waves. What? almost mm -hmm. adds nothing for you like if you kill a hero sure it's going to do a little bit more damage but it's actually a worthless talent as well like i i would actually go stats over the 15 talent with this hero especially considering it's, it's universal yeah i think he just should have something else on 15 than this i agree uh, uh, another I mean, maybe against some really specific heroes this could be interesting but like for the most part it's just Another Not nerf was for Undying. Heroes yep. for Grab Ally, of course, everyone's favorite. Heroes inside the Tombstone 
are now stunned for three seconds if it gets destroyed. So you just have to come out before it gets destroyed, which I think generally is not that hard unless you're going against like a little shredder or some mm -hmm. really good comp at killing the tombstone. But it's kind of like getting stunned off of a tree as Monkey King. It's, I mean, that one's four seconds, yeah. I think. So that's more severe, but still. Uh, is this good, Zindarin? Do you like this change? I mean, I think they're trying... So this is the thing, right? Like, they recognized that Grab Ally was too strong. And now they're putting multiple levels of nerfs on that particular ability on this hero. And it begs the question, is it... Was it inherently so unfair that the drawbacks needs to be more and more severe with every patch? That is it good design then to begin with? Like, is this something we should keep in the game? Um... I know what your answer is. Of course you want it, because you love this spell. But Would I love this spell if the name was something normal? Probably not. <laughs> it's just the name, right? It's fucking grab ally, man. Um Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I mean I'm a I'm a fan of them obviously nerfing this in general because it was extremely egregious when it came out, but they've nerfed the way it interacts, they've nerfed what was it? So I'm losing track of the nerfs they've put on it now. I think this is the third or the second one. So obviously now there's the stun if it gets destroyed. There's It has shorter grab range, right? Which was also a nerf that it got. And then it also got an additional one. It's the one where you can cast it on somebody, which is, I guess is a buff, but yeah, if you put it down, you have to enter it yourself. You can't be put into it by anybody right. else. So no, basically you can't yeah. be stunned and enter it. Unless right. Undying cast Tombstone on you directly. Yeah. Um, okay. Want to highlight a big buff, which a hero really deserves here. I don't know if this was the one I would have put on it, but Venge just got 0.3 seconds stun on all levels. Magic Missile was a pretty bad level 1 spell, so I'm a really big fan of this spell in particular getting buffed. Still don't know what I think of the whole wave of terror shenanigans with it dealing both minus armor and mm. the minus flat or minus percentage total damage that it does now, but uh, I like this buff to the hero. I think that was sorely needed. I think Magic Missile was just not good enough compared to a lot of other heroes and what they have to bring to the table. And of course, Venge has other shortcomings in laning. She has bad range, uh, which is a huge problem for her as a support compared to a lot of other supports, so... Fan of that one. Um, Witch Doctor should mention him as well because he was also one of the biggest winners. So he gets plethora of nerfs here. He loses three base damage. He loses 0.2 int gain. Death Ward loses 100 attack range. Death Ward gains cooldown. And Death Ward's 25 and 20 talents both get nerfed. So the another thing hero him... that became popular just now because he was really strong and now gets like three or four nerfs in the same pit. But I... I, I... I think he will still be played competitively. These I, are less severe than the Sand King ones. Like the fact it that really Death Ward does like... pure damage, I'm telling you, a level one Death Ward, even against like a hero that's double your levels, like a level 12, mm -hmm. it fucking destroys them. So I think this hero is still really strong, but. Uh... And it's also, when you look at these numbers, almost all of the nerfs are on Death Ward, right? He lost a little bit of base damage and some int gain, which is obviously... I th a three base damage is a decent amount, so his laning will be weaker, but in the grand scheme of things, the majority of this is about his ulti, which is only, you know, a part of the hero. For Sand King, it was like his primary kit that got nerfed. 
mm-hmm. your sandstorm and burrow strike, which is ma- what makes the hero, right? So, I I would not say for me that Death Ward is what makes Witch Doctor. Um, it's obviously one of the things that got buffed the most about him, but when this spell was a lot worse, the hero was still playable because his other spells are still really good. Maledict is amazing. Yeah. Cask is still a really good spell. Your heal is great in certain lineups. So well, I should all also the other keep in mind, now that you're great. able to get shards pretty easily, the shard is his ult as well, right? This all affects the yeah. same thing. So that is... That's true. So Switcheroo gets nerfed as well. That's fair. Uh, I guess it gets nerfed on the attack range, but that's it, right? Because... Uh, um, well, on the 20 and 25 talents as well, of course. Yeah, the talents as well. Yeah. Okay, so that is right. patch 7.34b. Yeah. Next, we can talk Overall about fair, the... I would say, for the most part. The Sand King's, for my opinion, a bit too much, but the rest yeah. is okay. Agreed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Okay, so we are going to, the next, there's two topics today that we're (laughs) going to be doing that are a bit old. We never did them, but they're pretty fucking important. One, of course, is oh, the, yeah. re- oh, the Riyadh my. predictions. Yeah. Very important, which we'll get to later. But this one is... <laughs> Let's see. When did this blog post come out? August 4th. August 5th. Well, it says 4th for me on the blog. Oh, it's 5th so. for me. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, the international 2023 schedule and format. We haven't gotten to discuss this. Should I read the whole thing? I it guess we should. It is a very long post. So... So it's a lot of reading. The international is fast approaching. After months of competition, 12 teams have secured their invites to TI, with eight more set to join them. Blah, blah, blah. The international is watched by millions. Don't care. While no format can be perfect, we're always trying to strike a balance. Blah, blah, blah. So with TI 23, TI 2020, just call it TI 12. What's the problem? On the horizon, we wanted to walk you through every detail of the format. Okay, so the schedule. One obvious difference this year is the event schedule. A live competition is always more exciting when people can watch it as it's actually happening, not hours or days later. And we wanted to make it easier for people to do that. To that end, we're scheduling nearly every game over a Friday through Sunday weekend break. It'll take three weekends to fit in all the games for a 20-team tournament. A weekend of group stage... October 12th to 15th, a weekend for playoffs, October 20th to 22nd, and a weekend for the finals, the 27th through 29th. The Road to the International. As a landmark esports event, the International attracts viewers who have never played Dota or even watched a live gaming event. 
very aggressive reading, we hear a consistent message from the first-time watchers that TI is exciting but can sometimes feel overwhelming. There are so many matches happening, new viewers can find it difficult to understand which to focus on. So this year, we've split the international into two distinct phases with two distinct names. The road to the international, which includes group stage and playoffs, and captures all the drama of pitting the best 20 Dota teams against each other until only eight remain, and the international itself, where those final eight teams battle to claim the Aegis of Champions. So if you're already invested in Dota, and if you've already read this far, probably yes, and want to watch every step of the journey, you'll still start it with the road to the international. You can watch the group stage as you normally would, and the playoffs will still be played live in front of an audience. And if you're new to Dota or the International and just want to experience the biggest moments of events, made it clear that what they are and where you can blah, blah, blah. Group stage, can I okay. Just do a quick intermission before the group stage part. Yes, sir. How much do you think this naming convention actually matters? Like, I read this and I think about it and I'm like, it doesn't. Well, does this make it? So, like, the reasoning they're giving is that it's to try to make it easier for the audience that isn't into Dota to understand what's going on. I think if you tune in to something and you're like, oh, there's this big Dota event going on, and you see it's called the Road to the International, you're like, oh, this is probably just a qualifier. True. Right? If you have no idea what you're watching, and you tune in, and it's called the Road to something, my in instinctual feeling when I watch something like that would be, oh... This is not that big. It's a qualifier. The good tournament comes later. The road to the international is really good. It's the world elite playing an elite level tournament. I feel like it I think should not be called the road. I feel like that's also the international. Yeah, considering they've already I don't segmented it into three weekends with nothing being played during the week. That means the international is three days. Yeah, that's, yes. that's weird as fuck. And, and I mean, okay, if you want to, if you want to, if you do want to separate it, I could maybe see perhaps some reasoning to not include the group stage in the international. If you really want to make a distinction, you could call the group stage the road to the international. It's like, okay, we eliminate the weakest teams, we get the seeding underway, and then we get into the real main bracket, right? Which is the playoffs. But I just think, yes, but the fact that the playoffs is not considered the international is. I don't know, man. I just fundamentally don't agree I with this think, name convention. And I, don't, I, I, I don't can't remember if this is... We'll read it. I, I believe that the Key Arena, whatever the hell it's called now, Climate uh, Pledge... Climate Pledge Arena. Whatever. Yeah. I believe that's only for the last three days. Correct. So maybe that is why. So it's like to not... Is the concern that people tune in and they see something called the International, and it's not this grandiose thing, and then they're disappointed because they heard TI is supposed to be this huge thing, and because it isn't that big during groups and playoffs, they're like, oh, I thought it would be something else, and then they never come back. And then the hope is by calling it the Road to the International, people know that, okay, this is only the beginning. Later on, the big stuff comes on. Is that it? Maybe? maybe I guess. That, maybe it's more important than I think. I don't, like, I don't know. I mean, obviously, they've... Based on this, they've talked a lot to, and I understand that our perspective is very different, right? Because we're very much within the scene and we're into the, all the games and we're watching it and we're casting them live. But maybe they've talked a lot more to like friends and family who, you know, they're game devs. They work on this game and they have 
They want to show their friends and family this event they're putting on. And maybe a lot of them are confused. So, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I still, I still think the playoffs should be given a different name <laughs> in that case. Well, wait but. till we talk about the group stage. In the old group stage yeah. format, two groups of 10 teams would play round-robin over the course of four frantic days, usually five games at a time. This meant that each team was playing so many matches that early games just didn't feel meaningful. It also meant that a lot of matches in the final days of group stage were literally meaningless because they wouldn't actually affect the final standings. The challenge then was to come up with a group stage format that heightened the stakes of each and every game. In the new group stage format, instead of two groups of 10 playing for four days, it's four groups of five with two days of play, with the bottom team in each group getting eliminated. This means that every team will now only play four games instead of the previous nine, making every game impactful to a team's final standings in the group. Additionally, the second half of the group stage is now composed of head-to-head matches between the remaining 16 teams, which will decide which teams enter the playoffs in the upper bracket. So, this part I fucking absolutely hate. I actually thought about this for quite a while. I hate, 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 hate this format. So, the idea of trying to make games more meaningful and all that stuff, I actually agree with everything that they're writing. And this is... I feel like the tone of the writing lately has been kind of like... PR mode where they're trying Mm. to make it sound good because everything they wrote in that first paragraph like why they were doing it I agree with but the execution I think just makes the product infinitely worse for many reasons one reason is first of all there's a lot less games which means there's going to be teams eliminated they made it seem like a good thing by the way how many Mm -hmm. uh, that means every team will play four games so four teams are going to get eliminated after four fucking games. One bad day at Dota, you're out of TI. That's that's a that's really fucking bad, I think. That's really mm. bad. And then on top of that, you get first in your group and then you lose one series and your lower bracket. Am I reading that right? For the playoffs. Uh If you're first in your group, you're playing third or fourth of another group. Yeah. And that decides the playoff bracket. So you could go undefeated. Then mm-hmm. you have one bad series, one best of three, I assume. It's a best of three. And yeah. your lower bracket. That sounds correct. This is this. the worst format of any tournament I have ever heard in Dota to this fucking day. That is insanely bad. And of course, they're trying to package it as a nice thing. Like, am I wrong in anything that I'm saying? This is horrific. This is like the worst group stage format ever i think this is not the format that i would suggest for dota at least um i think this format is better for other games uh compared to what it is for dota but yeah for the most part at least i agree with what you said and i have some secondary concerns as well because you're just talking about you know having a bad day or whatever i think something that the old ti format did really well was seeding this is one of my biggest concerns with this is that you see, four teams are getting eliminated out of the group stage, right? There is a decent chance that they are not the four worst teams in the tournament. Agreed. Because they could just, like, you're going to see however best you can going into TI, but what do you really have to go on? Are you going to see people based on DPC points? Are you going to mm-hmm. see them based on the most recent international tournament that was played? Is it like Riyadh Masters that you're using for seeding? 
Um, is it something else that's going to be right before TI that has an influence? Either way, Valve has no way of gauging the exact strength of these teams when they do the seeding. So the reason two groups of 10 is really good is that in the perfect world, you have one round robin with 20 teams, but you also got to look at it from a logistics perspective where it's like, you got to cut some corners somewhere because a 20 team round robin takes a fucking two weeks and nobody wants to play or watch that. So the two teams of 10 or two groups of 10 is really good because it keeps fairness in mind in terms of seeding and likely eliminating the weakest teams. And then you just skip the second stage of seeding people into the playoffs bracket because you've played so many games in the groups that it is likely to be pretty representative of the team's strength. That's why a big group stage is really good. And to me, it's a big part of TI that there's this gauntlet. I think a lot of fans really enjoy that there's shitloads of games and they can't watch everything and they choose what to watch. And it's true. There's, it comes with some drawbacks. Every format does. There's going to be games that don't matter in the end. That's a problem Round Robin always has. Um, that, that's the biggest upside of this change is that the chance that a game doesn't matter is way, way smaller. Um, so that's good. But that's like, for me, is the only really good thing about this. Um, and I just way prefer the other thing compared to those uh, drawback, uh, drawbacks that it has. So I would agree. And then you, you talk about, okay, you see teams out of the groups and then you play one best of three against a team from another group. Exactly another problem, right? What if the groups aren't balanced? They can't be. It's impossible to being, be perfectly Being balanced. second in group A, you might be weaker than the team that's third in group B. So, I mean, that, that's the thing. Does, you, you mentioned does this it. Does this solve anything then? Like, it solves I, I it by, it, you're, you have less games. That's literally I, the only thing they want is less games. So I guess by mixing the groups afterwards, that helps potentially alleviate group imbalance, right? Because if it turns out that there was one group that's just way stronger than the others, well, at least the lower placements in that group get a chance to play higher placements from another group. And if the group they were in was just better, then they could get through to the upper bracket by beating out that other group. But then that other group, it's like, it's a bit by chance, right? Because it's not like the winner of the groups pick an opponent from any other group. They get to pick from one specific other group. So based on the draw, if you're from group, let's say group, the groups are, let's say they're scaling in terms of strength. So group A is the weakest and group B is the strongest. If you're in group A and you get first, you can only pick from the second weakest group, right? And similarly from group C, you can only pick from the strongest group. So at that point, whichever group you get placed in, the power levels really yeah, influences how seating, easy of a matchup you're going to get. The seeding to begin with matters way more than it would it's for... It's extremely important that the teams get seeded well, and I just don't think... I don't think anyone in the world is capable. That's the problem here. That's why the group stage is so good, because you can have all the data on the teams. Essentially, if you want to seat them properly, you need to watch their scrims. And, I mean, I'm assuming Valve has access to team scrims, but if they're going to start digging into them to seed the teams, it starts becoming a bit of almost an ethical thing, where it's like, is that good way of doing it because so are the teams really one thing, playing their best in scrims and you know one thing like, that i don't think is written here correct me if i'm wrong it doesn't say best hmm. of two or best of three correct to this point uh we're assuming no, I don't think so we're assuming group stage because it's only five teams in a group is best of three i think every game should and will be best of if threes. it's best of two i don't even know what to say I mean, uh, if it's BO2s, you can have ties well, yeah. all of a sudden. I mean, you can have ties regardless, though, right? Um, yes, you could. 
but it becomes a lot more likely to have ties if you can have anyway teams. this i think this group stage is all it is is something to i don't understand this at all though because i was going to say it's less work which it is but i assume they're just having pgl do it what does valve give a shit about there being a shit ton of games so i guess that it's less work which i don't think they care about now that i think about it so it's it's all about the impact of the game they're trying to do like a almost like a march madness type of deal where i mean the mm. big reason that march madness which is college basketball is so popular is because it's best of ones right it's literally mm -hmm. do or die games and that's if it wasn't for that i don't think it'd be nearly as popular so obviously this isn't exactly the same because you can't have that but they're There's taking a, one extreme and making another kind of there was a good point from your chat someone was saying this format is actually quite similar to the football world cup which is kind of true because in the football world cup you have a lot of groups of four and then if you're first or second you advance and i think third and fourth get eliminated if i remember correctly and the first place team plays a second place team from another group that's how i remember it anyway i think mm -hmm. that's how it works the thing is there's there's some very much more severe limitations that makes that format a lot better and a lot more necessary for football there's logistics of the whole thing uh it's country the way like the way the countries travel to play the games, uh, the whole interaction with fans at the stadium and setting all of this up. You couldn't really do the World Cup with two groups of 10. It's also the physical limitation of the players. They can't play every team one time in a 10-team group in football. It's just way too much risk of injury. People are going to get exhausted. The game quality will be shit. Um, <clears throat> so I just think in that sport, it's just logical. It just lends itself to this format. And that was also what I was getting at with this in Dota, is that I think a format like this is probably better in CSGO than it is in Dota by the nature of how that game plays and how series play out. Because I think Dota has a different type of variance than CSGO does with, um, with drafting and with inherent randomness in the game itself. Um, so, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what is going to happen with this format, as much as we're bombarding it, the best teams are going through, right? No matter what. Like, the best team in each group will definitely go through to the main event, right? Uh, whether it's upper or lower bracket, they will go through. Um, my biggest concern with this format is teams that have an unlucky draw and get shafted is essentially what could happen. And funnily enough, kind of speaking from experience there, that's kind of what happened to me at TI1. Because at TI1, we were 16 teams, and we did four groups of four. And by chance, I was in group with Navi and Scythe, who got first and third. So in that group stage, we beat the fourth team. Um, and then we started lower bracket. It wasn't elimination. But you can imagine a similar situation could arise here, where one group has the first, third, and fifth place team. And you're like, you get fifth in that group, and you're like, well, <laughs> could have probably beaten a lot of the other teams, or at least taken... Yep. If it's a draw system, could have got draws and maybe, and you know, scrape by. I think by, if this but. was a format at like a major or any other tournament, we wouldn't care that much because there's more of that tournament. I want year. TI to have a, a lot of games. TI, but we're the minority, is, right? TI is a special case but. where this is supposed to be the tournament of the year. So to change things this drastically, mm. uh, I mean, we'll see. Maybe it'll be good. Next, which is part of the same yeah. topic, playoffs. Playoffs kick off on the 20th at the Seattle Convention Center Summit. 
featuring the top eight teams fighting for the upper bracket slots of the international. Saturday and Sunday will consist of a series of elimination matches with the four survivors making it into TI's lower bracket. Unlike previous years, all matches will be played in best of three format. So there's no best of ones. That's all that means, Mm -hmm. uh, which is good. That is good. Uh, The International will feature the final eight teams of the event competing in Climate Pledge Arena from the 27th to 29th to determine which team is the best in the world. Friday and Saturday will feature four best of three matches each day, and Sunday will feature a best feature a battle between the top three teams, first in the lower bracket finals, and finally the best of five grand finals. Putting it all together, we're thrilled to bring you your year 12 of the International. It's our goal to make every incarnation as exciting for invested fans as it's welcoming for newer players. Tickets at the Convention Center Summit and the international itself at Climate Pledge Arena will go on sale second half of August. So that okay. is the TI format. <clears throat> yeah. So, okay, let's also talk about some positives here. So, first of all, no best of one elimination. That gets a big thumbs up for me. I think that was always my biggest. No, gripe that was not with your biggest TI's gripe. Your biggest gripe format? was bottom eight not getting prize pool. Oh, okay, sure. But that hasn't been a problem for. A well, couple of years at least. Bottom um, bottom something doesn't get prize pool from past TIs, recent ones, right? Like bottom four Do you not four get prizes if you're... Are you sure like about 20 that? Through, I, no, I I'm don't not remember. Sure. Like 20 through 17 or something. I think... I'll just look way, it up. I, you keep talking, yeah. I'll look it up. Yeah, so no best of one eliminations, which I think some people will think it's a shame because the best of ones have some sort of special aura around them. And I can understand that perspective of it's a best of one at TI for everything, for survival. You know, these games are super hyped. The teams are nervous and all of that. But I think high stakes games of Dota of that kind should not be best of ones for variance reasons. Mm-hmm. I think there's a decent chance in a best of one, uh, best of one format that the weaker team wins. And Yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan of the BO3s. So it just means if you get cheesed or you have a bad draft, you can still come back. Last year's TI, it yeah. only shows 18 teams. Is that were there not 20 teams last year? I don't remember. Well, there were they, right because it was two groups of 10, and the bottom team got eliminated or so something. It shows prize pool for the top 18. So did bottom two get nothing? Is that? Let's see. Thunder Predator and SG Esports got eliminated in group stage, but they. It shows them as 17, 18th. So maybe there's only 18. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's a positive, is the best of threes, from my perspective, best of three lowers is a good change, so I'm very happy with that. And I understand the trade-off that we take here in order to obtain that with the format was to change something in the group stage. Um, now, you could argue that you could run the group stage as usual and then have the group stage, instead of being from the Thursday to the Sunday, just run from Tuesday to Sunday, and then do uh, 10-team groups, and I would be like, fuck yeah, but they're not doing that this year. Let's see how it goes. I, we, we are on the same page here that we like the old format for groups better. Another positive, um, we were wor- uh, worried or we were debating whether the playoffs would have a live audience, and that's now confirmed that they will, because the only thing that han- they had announced until now was the finals in the Climate Pledge Arena. But now yeah. we also know that all of the playoffs games will have an audience. So that's good. 
Um, not I don't at know Benaroya, how, though, sadly. It's not at Benaroya, so that's unfortunate because we would have absolutely fucking loved that. I would think, I would like to think that Valve actually tried to get it, but I don't know if they did. It's just, it would just be the perfect return to Seattle to have that uh, for the playoffs. But maybe it was unavailable, maybe it didn't line up well, um, etc. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about this other arena, the Seattle Convention Center Summit. I don't know how much capacity it has. I don't know what it looks like. Um, I tried I to look up. up some. I tried to Google some capacity, and it gave me. I think it gave me the capacity of the entire convention center, which is obviously not what we're using. We're using the summit of it. Um, it has capacity for eleven hundred booths or eight thousand people seated. But is that the summit of it? I don't know. Because I thought that was, if that is the summit, that's awesome. I think that would be having up to 8,000 viewers uh, or live audience would be a great upgrade from last year, obviously, which was a bit of a letdown. I think the arena that they set up last year in Singapore was actually pretty cool, but it was just not big enough for TI. But with what they did with what they had, I thought was pretty damn nice. Um, but yeah, so it was. So, what do you think about? the three weekend thing that's the i think that's the final thing we haven't talked about that's yeah. the biggest change i prefer the continuity of having things back to back i understand the value for viewership in terms of having the majority of the audience be able to watch everything because it's on weekends but i personally find that it detracts from a tournament's uh it detracts from a tournament, then it loses continuity like this. I think the the whole feeling of that gauntlet of TI, where it was two weeks or a week, uh, like yeah. 10, 11 days or whatever, and it was all more or less back-to-back -back with one or two break days, for me, makes the feeling of the tournament more, like, intense. And from a player's perspective, I think the bigger breaks, it's hard to say who that really favors, but it does give certain teams time to recover from slumps and it gives teams that are ahead time to be caught up to so it is pretty likely that the result of a tournament of this kind will be different than the result of a tournament of the other kind and then it's just about what kind of team are you uh what kind of teams are the others and how does how do things play out it's not like it's not like this is unfair or anything it's just different um what about from a viewer perspective yeah so that's where i don't that, that's what I don't really know, right? Is like, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are really happy with this change because they're like, fuck yeah, I can watch almost all the games of TI. The previous years has been so hard for me with work. Maybe people, a lot of people used to take holiday for this. Maybe they can't, or, you know, the more casual viewers won't want to take holiday to watch, and that's completely fine. Um, I don't know. We did an experiment last year, right? Where we had the group stage and the playoffs basically back to back. And then we had this five day break before the finals. And for me personally, already that five day break was really long from a tournament perspective. Now we have it twice over, like two five day breaks. Um, well, okay. Let's... I actually personally feel like the break between the group stage and the playoffs is less intimidating for me than the other one at the very least. And we've already had the other one. It's just that when you get that late in the tournament, right? It's like, you're through the playoffs and then there's a five day break until the finals. And they're like, you know, you've built up this hype with all these teams that are really good. And then you have this break. I wonder uh, if this was in, if this was in August, AKA the summer, mm -hmm. would they care about the whole weekend thing? Cause the only thing I can see is people that want to come. Actually it's 
it's a double-edged thing. So on some level, people don't have the summer off, harder mm-hmm. to come visit, to watch the games. So the weekend makes it easier for the local people, makes it way harder for people coming from outside, because then you have to stay for fucking five extra days if you want to yeah. see the next stage of Dota. And then if you only want to come for the last three days, and that becomes probably close to impossible to find tickets for because those are going to sell out immediately. So I think overall, from like in-person perspective, this sounds worse, I want to say, unless you live in Seattle or you know somebody that lives in Seattle, so you can just stay there for free, right? And I then from the viewer the ways... side, I think from online, it's probably better, I guess. But then again, yeah, like so... it depends on your, your time zone as well, right? I'm, yeah, I'm thinking for the attendees to start with that, the people in person, what they used to do in the past, right, was that we had this six or seven day arena event and people would take holiday and come and buy tickets and then go to the arena. Not everyone went every day, obviously, but they have the possibility of going for like basically a week straight. Now, if you want to watch all the live games, unless you're from somewhere nearby so you can go back home in the intermediate period, you would need to book a week and a half instead of six days. So it does get significantly longer for people to take holiday for something like this. But at the same time, since it's weekends, I guess the only holidays you truly take are four, right? You take, no, five. You take Monday through Friday as holidays in one week, unless you have a job where you're also working weekends or, uh, you know, depends individually. So if you want to watch all of it, I guess what I'm getting at, if you want to watch the playoffs and the finals, this is just flat out more expensive for everyone attending because you need accommodation for 10 days instead of seven um and you will have these like four days of dota void to fill with other stuff which for some people is going to be great you know you just do tourism stuff you go out you experience other things but for the people that specifically just want to go on a dota vacation um yeah this is just going to be a different type of thing for them and then as you said you can go for one or the other but like if I were to guess, most of the people that attend this, if you want to go and only watch one section, you obviously want to watch the finals, right? That's the one that everyone who wants to take a short holiday and go and watch something will try to get. So I guess my question is for you, how many people do you think go and watch the playoffs live only? And then not uh, the finals? I think maybe a lot because okay. they can't get tickets to the finals. <laughs> right. So you do it as like a, a secondary thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, do you think people would be willing to travel from afar to only watch the playoffs and no, then go home? Absolutely not. That sounds so. Stupid. I think the playoffs crowd is going to be ninety-five to one hundred percent American, hmm. and then I think the finals crowd is going to be more diverse, which is what we're used to. We're used to having uh, people come in from all over the world to watch TI for the six-day period. Now that it's a three-day period for the finals, I think some of those people are not going to go because it's going to feel like such a long trip for such a short payout. Um, and again, like you said, limitations on tickets, etc. Because in the past, when you had TI tickets for like those six days, you would generally you know, be able to get seats for a lot of the games all the time, because there were so many games, and it was for six days. The crowd wasn't full most of the days because of the stakes and everything. Um, yeah. But last year, in Singapore, it was also a three-day finals, right? I think. Was it? I don't remember. I think so. It was short. Yeah. So in the end, um, I think generally, I I guess the thing I'm struggling to understand is why they would even want to make these changes other than it's less work. 
like even for the weekend type thing, Valve mm-hmm. employees, they've historically said, other people have said this publicly, so it's not like it's leaking anything, but that they don't really, like they're sick of working on TI, right? Like mm-hmm. not the people that are working on the Dota team because they have to get other employees to help out. But when you have like PGL doing it all, then I don't know what difference that makes anymore, you know? Because if you're doing it weekend only, that's easier to get people to, you know, it's not going to take away from Neon Prime or whatever. But mm-hmm. I guess it depends on what PGL is working on. Because last time PGL worked on everything other than, I mean, they did it all, but technically Valve kind of took over the finals weekend, right? So how does it work this time? There's group stage, which I assume is PGL. Then mm-hmm. playoffs is in a venue. Is that still mainly PGL or is Valve taking over that point? Or are they waiting for the finals? I don't know. But I guess the main question is why make these changes? Like what's the reason? And other than it being less work, I'm, I can't think and of anything I, else. I don't know if I agree. I mean, obviously, this is just speculation on my part or whatever. I don't know if this is less work for the final two parts for any individual person that is a part of this. Because in the old format, and you had six days in the same venue, you go there, you do setup, which is a big part of events. It takes a, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to get things set up and tested and make them work. Now you have to do it twice, right? In, when you had Climate True. Pledge Arena or Key Arena back then, you do one setup for the main event, and yeah. then that setup runs and is perfected over six days. Now, if you're someone working on both the playoffs and the finals, you have to do it twice because it's in two mm-hmm. separate venues. You have to do all the testing, all the ironing out two times over. Um, and, I mean, they obviously did it last year, right? They did it in Singapore, so they've tried it. And I, I guess they liked the way that played out for them, so they want to repeat it. But I... Yeah, I guess my main point here is I don't know if this is less work for the Valve employees that are part of this. Okay, I think so it's actually more if work. If it's not less work, then the only reason I can come up with for doing this is that games feel more impactful. Yeah. I guess. And I think they Which remains dislike, to be seen if that's even going to be true, though, right? We'll I, see. I think what they disliked about previous, the older TIs, was to see the main arena be a third full for many of the games. And I think they're hoping with this division and this short intensity format per weekend that the people attending will go and watch more or less everything. So the arena is going to be packed and the atmosphere is going to be different. Mm-hmm. I think that is the biggest positive in this rescheduling or restructuring. I also said that last year. And I think that kind of came true as well. If you remember when we were in the smaller venue in Singapore, it was packed. It was pretty full for most of the games, right? Yeah. Um, so we'll see if that is the case. If this has an 8,000 capacity for the playoffs, if that's also going to fill up. But yeah, I mean, in conclusion on all of this, I think the thing that I dislike the most is the group system. Um, them changing the schedule around to run for three weekends. I think there's pros and cons, so that's okay. Um, and obviously the group rescheduling is a, is a... I don't even say it's a necessary evil for what they're trying to do. Because I don't think people would mind that much if the group stage ran from the 10th to the 15th instead of the 12th to the 15th. And you miss some of the games. I think that's still better. Um, but yeah, the other stuff is... I, I think, think there's, ups, uh, there's pros and cons to the other things. Do you so. think the panel's going to be in Norway again? No. I don't think so. Okay. But we'll see. Uh, what do you think there's going to be a panel for? What do you mean? Play- do you think oh. it's going to be a panel for all games or playoffs and finals only? I think playoffs and... F- Wait, what did they have last time? 
it was all remote group stage, right? I think. Yeah. I think it's going to be the same as last year. Okay. No, it'd be my guess. All right. Uh, so that's TI. Predictions. That's right. The most important part of this episode is the Riyadh predictions that we forgot about. Enlighten me, <laughs> Cinderin. Okay, so we're going to go over this pretty quickly because it's old news, but we just need to get a winner. And I don't know, I haven't looked into it, so I don't know who of us is the winner for this, but oh. these were our predictions. So to recap or to remind everyone how the tournament played out, the top eight was Spirit, Liquid, Talon, Gaming Gladiators, then it was Betboom, Nine Pandas, and Quest Aster. So your bottom four that you selected that do not make it out of the group stage were Execration, TSM, VP, and Entity, and mine were Execration, TSM, Team Secret, and Entity. The teams that did not make it out of groups were Beast Coast, Entity, Virtus Pro, and Execration. So you got Ooh. three out of four. Ooh. You were wrong about TSM. That slot was taken by... Uh, let me see. Beast that Coast. slot was taken by Beast Coast, yes. And I picked Execration, so I got that one. And I picked TSM, Secret, and Entity, so I got two out of four. So you win on the bottom four by one. Your top three for the tournament were Liquid, Gaming Gladiators, and Bet Boom in that order. Yeah. Specifically, you even mentioned the order. You were that confident. Um, you got yeah. one out of three, but not in the correct spot. You picked Liquid. They made top three. I picked two. Gaming Gladiators, Talon, and Tundra. So I also got one because I got Talon. Mm. So that's a tie. Oh. Your White Donkey, so team that's high expectations for that's going to disappoint, was Bet Boom. They got oh, fifth, that's sixth. I went. I, I double think, dipped. Yeah, I double dipped. Yeah, I don't think that it qualifies no, that, as a white donkey. That's, that's a pretty not. good result. Yeah. I picked liquid. I think that's really awful. <laughs> so, yes. so you win on that one. Yes. And then the dark horse. You picked OG to do well. They got thirteenth, fourteenth. Yeah. I picked Aster. They got seventh, eighth. So I win that one by one. So I think overall. If I have to be honest, it's a slight win for you by yes. the thinnest margin possible. Sli what do you mean we'll... slight? It was by two, at least. No, it was by one because I got the dark horse. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Whatever, I win, bitch. It's okay, you, you win. <laughs> yes! Uh, Speaking of predictions, we need to do some uh, uh, TI-12 qualifier predictions now, Shannon. Oh yeah, that's true. And I think what we... What we predict here is who makes it and nothing else, okay? So not about any placements, about who's close or whatnot. So okay. just the slots. So okay. NA1 slot. Teams are Nouns, Felt, Dogchamp, Bait, Wildcard, The Cut, C-Dub, San King Gomez, Ravens, Lucky Bird, American Goons, Tilted Boys, and Grin Esports. And I should mention in the conversation <laughs> that Wildcard is a different team than you remember. Yes. It is now Sammy Boy, RCY, Sunlight, Taiga... And Husky, because Husky was removed from Nouns, so he's now with Wildcard yep. and is being joined by Taiga of all players. You're going to write this one team. down? Uh, sure. Let's do TI predictions. Okay. Qualies. Okay. Uh, nouns. I think we're both going to go Nouns. 
and I guess one slot. Okay. Um. Really? Yeah, nouns have K1, by the way, uh, as their carry now after replacing yeah, Husky. Only... Yamson is now playing five. That's the only thing carry. that's questionable is Yamson playing five, but I think they'll still win. Yeah. If you put me on the spot, I agree. So let's take nouns. Okay. South America. Two slots. So Four. Why, why do they Sorry? have two slots again? Uh, because SA did better internationally this year with both Beast Coast and um, EG. I think that's why. I think the, the results of the region have improved enough that they were allocated a slot mm. from... I forgot which region they cut one from. Uh, was it? Did NA have two slots at any point? Don't remember. Anyway, two slots here for either Thunder Awaken, Infinity, Akatsuki, Keyed Stars, Balrogs, Universitario Esports, okay, interesting. Infamous, Mad Kings, Lava Esports, No Ping Esports, or Kali. Um, okay. The teams here that have DPC points are six of them, actually. But, okay, I'm curious what you think here. I think this is harder to call. I'm this, going off you know, of rosters big... mostly. I'm going to go Thunder Awaken still. Yep. And I'm going to go Keyed Stars. We okay. have Costa Bile and King RD. That's the only analog. Sure. And KJ, actually. There's a lot of known Brazilian players. Full Brazil roster. Okay. I will also take Thunder Awaken, but I will not take Keed. I think this is going to be a bloodbath, by the way, this qualifier. Um, I'm leaning infinity or akatsuki i don't know who i want so their rosters just for reference is infinity is lumiere kxy vitaly michael and gardic and akatsuki is mnz leo style frank kiri and prada fully peruvian team the second one that is the first one has one bolivian there's so many peruvians that are high skilled in dota <laughs> it's actually crazy um like among all of these teams trying to qualify for TI, I want to say more than half the players are Peruvians. They are, actually. More than half. Uh, I will take Akatsuki. Let's okay. do it. Okay. Western Europe. All right. Go ahead. Two slots for Quest, OG, Entity, Level Up, Luna Galaxy, Nigma Galaxy, Team Secret, KZ Team. Into the Breach, Ancient Tribe, and Alliance. This is where I'm going to lose, I think. This one's going to be hard as well. I'm going to lose on this one. All right, well, I have my two. Okay. Are you going to lock in your two first so we don't copy each other? Oh, you don't want to copy? Okay, okay. Yeah, um, I don't want to influence right, you. I think. Okay. <laughs> Fuck, man. This is really hard. Lock it in, Cinderin. Uh. Okay, I'm gonna take a... Okay, yeah. Sure. Alright, I'm going quest, which I assume you did as well. Yes. And this is where I'm gonna lose. <laughs> I okay. I'm gonna go with the TI winners. Uh, secret, who will win TI. Because <laughs> it's set okay. in stone. Puppy will win this TI. Okay. All right, I took Quest. Who do you think my second team is? Uh, I was probably OG. I took Nigma. Okay. 
they are actually on an upward trajectory now with their new team. And I mean, honestly, I think a bit of it is wishful thinking and a lot of people are going to meme about it. But this is the kind of tournament where it is a real possibility, especially because they've been in a slump for so long and it actually looks like they're finally getting some momentum now. So the timing might be right for them. And yeah. honestly, if you look at some of the other favorites, I would say OG and Entity are on the down, right? So they are. your That's historical true. stuff from the last few months might not actually matter as much. So I was still on the fence about, like, am I actually picking Nygma? They've had a pretty bad year and a half or two years by now, but I'm still... Um... So Quest is using Toby, by the way, as their position three. So they went from yeah. Amar to... Was it Ma- Ma- was it his name? Malik? They had, uh, Mal- they had Malik as a stand-in, yeah. Or is it Malreen? It was Malik. Okay. Malreen's a mid player. Um, I could see a bunch of teams win it. is going to be, this is the bloodbath. Uh, this is going to be a really good qualifier. That's for sure. Uh, okay. But Eastern yeah, honestly, Europe. I would not be too surprised if neither of the teams we picked makes it as well. I would not be like shocked if Quest, Nigma, and Secret, if neither of those three makes it. That would mm-hmm. not be like outstanding. So, okay. Eastern Europe. Yeah, they one get one slot. One slot. Oof. Okay, it's between two teams for me, I think. Let me just double check on some of these rosters. I'll mention the teams real quick. So we've got Virtus Pro, Hydra, One Move, Navi, Matreshka. Oh, I can never say this. Welcome Nihao. Team Sexy. Nice name. Nemega, Storm, Mon- Moneymakers, Navi Jr., and SIBE team. Uh, the team, three of these teams have DPC points. Clearly, the most are on Virtus Pro, who have FNG, Sayush, Noticed, Squadix, and Kiritush. And Navi's current roster is Shigetsu, Melojul, Malik, Daniel, and Malady. There's a lot of like recognizable names across. We're not going to go over all the rosters, but yeah, take your pick. It's one slot. So, did you lock in yours mentally? Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna pick here. Okay, mine is between VP and this other team. I'll take the other team. Okay, what was the other team? The other team is Namiga Gaming. Okay, yeah. So they have Violent, Malreen, Vazia, Hellscream, and Roger. Also strong team. Okay, so you take you took Namiga, and I take Virtus Pro. Okay. That's yeah. This one's also. I, Honestly, the qualifiers this year are going to be really good, I think. China, one slot? Is that for real? Yes. That's why I was asking why South America got two, because that's pretty crazy. China has one qualifier slot. All right. Okay. This will also be a bloodbath. Aster, Azure Ray, Invictus Gaming, Extreme Gaming, Aster Ares, Holy Grail, Team Zero, Team Bright, Big Brain. Supernova, Team Disillusion. Yeah, they're not winning. Mm. IG Vitality and Limit. Aster being the team with the most DPC points, but four of them have a decent chunk. Aster, Azure, Invictus, and Extreme Gaming. Oh, man. I think this is the hardest, to be honest. Tell me when you've locked in. God, I actually, I feel like this is my heart. More I've than locked my brain, it in. But, okay, I've locked I'm it gonna in. take a risk here. I know yeah. which one. I okay, we're picking the same one then. So I uh, actually think, 
Azure Ray will win this. Okay. You agree, right? I, That's your pick. I, yeah, I picked them too, but maybe it's wishful thinking because I just want to see these players on the big stage, right? Yeah, it's Lou, so it's Samus, Lou Chalice, Chalice, FY, FY. Is that... Uh, is it Chan, Ming, I think? I don't know how to say his name. I think Aster, they could win this, of course. I think they're yes, the favored sure. one, but I feel like so many times that they... They either look pretty good or horrifically bad. And I don't know if it's because I keep casting them when they're playing horrifically bad, but I just don't think they're that good. So I, I will not pick them. And Azure Ray's lineup is insane on paper. And they did, you know, they, they had they have well. 400 DPC points, but they're a relatively new team, right? This is the first. Yeah. They went through Div 2, I believe, and then this was their first season as Div 1. So I think they'll win. But it'll be... It'll be a good qualifier. I mean, either way, for, for Western fans of, of Dota in general, it's really good news for TI if either Aster or Azure Ray makes it, right? Because Azure Ray has probably the single most celebrated Chinese player from the Western audience, which is FY. Together with, you know, Ame, FY, and Somnus are the three, I would say, the three biggest Chinese names in the West in general when you ask people. And two of them are on this team. So Western fans will be happy to see Azure Ray on the big stage. And if it's Aster, you've got Sumail, who's obviously a superstar. And you've got some of the other candidates for, you know, Western fans, especially Kaka is someone that uh, Western fans have been celebrating for a long time as well. So, and Monet as the carry. So, like, either of these two teams making it, Western fans are definitely going to enjoy. I wonder who the Chinese fans would rather see. I think a lot of the Chinese fans would probably rather see Azure out of nostalgia reasons, right? Because mm -hmm. they have all these like Chinese superstars, but at the same time, there are also really big Sumail fans over there. So yeah. I think this uh, is spicy. Okay, final one. Southeast Asia gets Ooh, one slot. This for one's hard too. This is really hard. So Execration, Bleed Esports, Blacklist International, Team SMG, which we haven't mentioned, but now have no one and mid one uh, in the same team, which is very interesting. Geek Fam, Army Geniuses, Boom Esports, Neon Esports, Made in the Philippines, Myth Avenue Gaming, IHC Esports, Spawn Team, UD Wesuan, and Vision. Okay, I've locked mine the... in. Okay. Oh, that was fast. I need a second to think here. Uh, fuck, man. There's a couple of teams here I'd really like to see make it. All right, talk it out loud. I've already picked mine. Okay, so... Uh, so I think Bleed is probably the team that will have the most international fanship because they have Ice Ice Ice, DJ, and Dubu. Um, these players have a lot of international fans. Then you've got the fully, uh, the fully Philippine team, Execration, who had the best season overall for these teams in terms of DPC points. You've got Blacklist International that has some of the another... Philippine superstar team with Raven, Carl, Tims, and Cuckoo, and they brought in KP and Offlane. I'm a big KP fan. I really like the guy. Um, so that's another team I wouldn't mind seeing it. And now you've got SMG with no one who's a legend, right, coming in and playing in an SEA team for the first time. So yeah, that should be interesting. There's, there's a lot going on here. And then you also can't not mention Boom. They bought in Boboka for position four. So that's a really big change for them to have him play there. Yeah, this is really exciting. And I mean, I, I'm browsing through more of the teams and there's players you just recognize from over the years. In Your Dream on Army Geniuses, obviously, with Yohei. 
got Miracle playing for Myth Avenue, but Polisson, Ponlo. Um, okay, I'm picking Bleed. Who okay. do you take? I am taking Blacklist. Okay. They're going to let me down again. I know it. <laughs> they always do. I keep looking at their roster. I'm like, holy shit. This is superstar roster. How do they... How are they third in DPC points out of all these teams? I know a lot of them are new now, but still. Do you think they're a bigger superstar team than Bleed on paper? Yes. Okay. It's not that Fair big. Enough. It's not that big of a step, but yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. Well, let's see how many do we agree on. There's a decent amount of difference. Yeah. Okay. We actually disagreed more than we agreed overall. So, are we just for clarification? If we pick, if neither of us pick a team that's through, do we pick the, like, do we get points for picking the team that got closer to getting in, or is it just a yeah, zero? Yeah, let's let's say that, and let's just say it's binary. So whoever is closer gets a point. Not I was closer by three, and you were closer. Because by we one could just do it if there's a tie, then we go with those rules. I'm sure we'll figure it out on the spot. Yeah, you'll cheat. Got it. <laughs> okay. There's a decent chance we tie here, right? Actually, because it's how many teams? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight slots. So, yeah. We agreed on four and we disagreed on four. Do you so, want to talk about this fun. last thing or do you want to keep it for next week? Because it's been here for a bit. Uh, it's up to you. All right, let's talk about it. Yep. CS2, some news. <laughs> it's a double whammy. So this one is a bit of an old one, the first part. It's two weeks old, yeah. Blog post from Valve. A level playing field. Counter-Strike is at its best when the teams compete on a level playing field and when the ability is and when ability is the only limit to their success. Over the past few years, we've seen professional CS drift away from that ideal. The ecosystem has become gradually less open with access of the highest levels of competition increasingly gated by business relationships. We think that Counter-Strike should be an open sport, so we're going to add new requirements to running large-scale competitive events. The finer details are still in progress, but here are the broad strokes. Tournament organizers will no longer have unique business relationships or other conflicts of interest with teams that participate in their events. Invitations to all tournaments will use our ranking system, which they detail in their blog post, or otherwise be determined by open qualifiers. Any compensation for participating teams, prize pool, or otherwise will be made public and will be driven by objective criteria that can be inspected by the community. Since tournament organizers have existing long-term <coughs> commitments, these requirements will take effect as of 2025. There will be some rough edges to transition, but we're committed to the long-term health of Counter-Strike as a sport and are looking forward to its bright and open future. So yeah. That's amazing. That's actually more Dota-esque than anything. Uh, yep. So I don't know all the details because I don't really follow Counter Strike that closely. But to my understanding, the way that it's been running is like tournaments like Blast or ESL, they create their own ranking system, and they invite teams based on their ranking system to the big tournaments. Correct? And uh, I think it's not even necessarily that simple. I think the reason they specifically mention business relationships is that certain organizers have contracts with certain teams that guarantee them invitation mm. and participation and then in return they have to show up so it's like a it's like a way for the tournament to guarantee that they will have these teams there and then it's a way for the teams to guarantee that they will have tournaments to play so it's like a two-sided thing mm. i don't know how much money is involved but i know that there's exclusivity 
And one of the great examples of this is that uh, I know this from very recently, a team like Ents was not um, was not invited to play in one of the bigger tournaments of the year because they weren't in that group, but they're like one of the strongest teams in the world right now. But they were nowhere to be seen in that tournament because they weren't part of the agreement. <clears throat> Probably not because they didn't want to. At the time, I'm assuming that they the just weren't good enough huge. as an org. A buy-in yeah. to some of these things is... I mean, I don't want to throw numbers out there. It's a lot of money, though. Yeah. So and you can see how definitely... this like makes it kind of corrupted in a way, right? Certain teams get the benefit of the doubt or just guaranteed spots, like you said, which is really bad. And this is what happens when... Like, we talk about Valve's being hands-off with Dota. That's not technically mm -hmm. true. This is actually hands-off to the point where like, teams are literally buying their way into these big tournaments, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so now they're kind and of putting their foot down and implementing more Dota style. Dota obviously has this to an extent as well, right? A lot of these third-party tournaments that are ran just invite teams that they want to have, and then they can say yes or no. Yeah, but, <laughs> but these I, are majors, I do think right? Yeah, so first of all, not necessarily... They're really big tournaments, right? Yeah, I guess you could call them majors. So that's one thing. And the other thing is the Dota tournaments, to my knowledge, this could obviously completely be wrong, but I think the invites are uh, are not financially driven for in the sense... Actually, that's not true. I think teams have been paid to participate in tournaments. So I'll take that back. I think that has happened. But I want to say at least the scale at which it's happening and the reward is that more more of the time compared to the cs shenanigans it's teams get invited the organizer can invite whoever they want obviously it's their tournament um and therefore they would invite fan favorite teams even if they aren't doing particularly well that's why we've had tournaments where people are like why is nigma here why is secret here when they're not doing that well compared to some of these up-and-coming teams that are on a hot streak and the reason is they pull in viewers because people want to see them win or lose um mm. so it's in the tournament organizers interest to have big names uh, in this CSGO or CS2 thing that this is going to be, I'm curious what uh, if this encompasses literally every tournament. So if you run a third-party tournament, it's a flat-out requirement that you have a qualifier and that you cannot invite anyone except with the ranking system. That's what I'm reading here, is that if you're running a third-party tournament, you have to abide to the ranking system. Um, but yeah, I thought it was we'll just for majors, out. but... I, I guess it doesn't it, technically it say. It doesn't say it's for majors, though. So. Well, anyway. Uh, well, it does say the ecosystem has gradually become less open with access to the highest levels of competition being gated by business relationships. So maybe you're right. It, it does seem a bit extreme that if you want to host a third-party tournament for like, you know, 10 grand or 25 grand or whatever, or 50 grand, and you want to play it online, that you have to invite a subset of teams based on the current rankings. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's also what they write, right? It's like the broad strokes and the finer details are in progress. So I think that's one of the things they need to figure out is so that, <clears throat> which tournaments are encompassed by this. That change has been looked at <clears throat> very positively from the CS yeah, community. For sure. And then in terms of CS2, which has been updating, they've been updating a lot more often, by the way. I've been playing a bit. Uh, they added maps. So Vertigo, I played briefly. Ancient, mm -hmm. which I'd never actually played before. Anubis, I didn't actually get to play it, but they added that as well. Um, trying to remember. There were some other maps as well that were... Basically everything except for Inferno, I think, in terms of the diffuse maps, has been tested. And recently, they made an update where they added Italy, and they actually got rid of all the diffuse maps. 
So it's literally all you can play is Italy, which is a hostage rescue, which begs the question, I was actually thinking about this, what's the point? I know there's nostalgia involved, but do people actually play hostage rescue? Because even back in the day, like once diffuse maps came into play, I feel like the hostage rescue were just, nobody actually rescues the hostages. <laughs> it's just deathmatch maps, right? Like Italy, Assault, yeah. whatever else. So all you can play right now is Italy, and I, I, I can understand it to a degree because they want people to test it, and nobody's going to play Italy if they can play Diffuse map. But the interesting thing is somebody went through the files and saw that something this is maybe something that they're going to be doing is, and I'll read the tweet, subtle but significant matchmaking changes in the latest CS2 update. Because they actually disabled competitive right now, so you can only mm -hmm. play casual. So from now on, competitive is first to 13 rounds. Uh... And they're getting rid of whatever is called short competitive, which is like the turbo mode, I guess, of CS. Mm -hmm. uh, and the overtime will only have one overtime, which I think was just three rounds each side, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And if it ties, then it's just a tie game. So part of it is from Valorant, which is 13 rounds to win instead of 16. Which I yeah. I've been talking with Nikki about this for a while now because we played Valorant for a while and then we're back to Counter-Strike. CS games do seem like they go on too long mm -hmm. and this is coming from something that's played like 20 years of cs i think it is a little bit too long so this will be interesting to see how people like that when it's actually implemented because this is a huge fucking change huge three rounds less is or one half that is is enormous yeah. well it's actually four rounds less it's 12 round halves essentially instead of 15 round halves uh i don't know if you have an opinion on shorter games and if this, this uh, could just be a thing that they're testing and they're not going to implement fully who knows i think it's good to make it shorter games i don't mind that i i just wonder if it's specifically 13 because that's what valorant has right like is it a good or a bad thing to copy their mm. exact layout with with rounds um i i don't know maybe i'm putting too much thought into that and it genuinely doesn't matter at all um and then the whole uh, timeouts seem to be shorter, right? I think the current timeouts in Pro CS are longer than 30 seconds. Mm. So that's probably something that both Valve and fans want is for, they understand that timeouts are a pretty big time of the, uh, point of, a part of the game, but probably that they last too long. So I think so, you also need to be a little bit careful with not making the timeouts too short so that you can't use them in a meaningful way, right? right. Like that's also a, a tricky thing. So I'm going to say, again, this is my experience from like 1.6 and Source, mostly not Go, but the 13 rounds I think is a good change if they were to keep that. I think that's actually good for CS. And I think the overtime is a bit weird. Obviously for competitive, like when you're in a official match, you can't have a tie. So I assume that part's not going to be exactly the same. But the way that Valorant does it, I think is actually much more exciting anyway. They have an infinite tiebreaker, infinite tiebreaker, but it's mm -hmm. best of one each side. So you play one side in this oh. CT, one side T, and if it's still one one, you go again. So it's basically first to get two zero in an overtime. I think it's that much means, more exciting. That means their overtime has no economy. Yes, correct. Essentially, so everybody just has everything they want every yes. round. Yes. Okay. Um, I can see pros and cons to both. It also, I think, is potentially a little bit less hype to go into overtime it's a really close game and then it's just two rounds and it's over versus this where there's a guaranteed three rounds right um 
Well, it becomes so more hype when there's like double wanna... overtime and stuff when it's I don't know. I guess you could look yeah, at it. Yeah, that's fair. Ways. I mean you're gonna have more double overtimes, I guess, in Valorant. Um so I'm being I don't know if corrected is the right word, but people are saying in your chat that CS one point six used to have MR twelve. I had no idea. No. I've not really been very much into pro counter strike before CSGO, not that much. Anyway, I've watched a bit. Somebody's going to have to tell us why they think that's the case, because, I mean, I played for 20 years. I don't remember ever being 12 rounds. All I remember in CS was 15 rounds per side. There was a time where there was the CGS tournament, which was a direct TV tournament. It was like the biggest sponsor of all time at that point for esports, and Counter-Strike was the main game. It was Source, though, and they changed the rules for the game, which was a huge deal. Everybody started with 16K. But it was still 30 rounds, if I'm not mistaken. That one I don't remember specifically, but I don't remember it ever being 12-round halves for 1.6. I guess it's just people saying that that has been a thing at some point in the past, so it wasn't quote-unquote Valorant that invented it or whatever. Uh, Forget about Valorant. I'm just saying in general, having shorter Counter-Strike games is probably good. I think it's... Do you think... And then you can do, do best of five making, series. That was what I was just going to say. Because that's what I really uh, want to see us is best of five series. Very few CS tournaments have had best of five finals, right? Yeah. They do have them occasionally on some of the biggest tournaments, but in Dota, it's more of the norm to have BO5 finals. Uh, in mm. CS, it's a bit different. But yeah, with MR12, you can definitely run more confidently run BO5 finals in this game. Um, yeah. Interesting, though. I mean, it sounds like both of us think it's good. Obviously, neither of us is really too involved with it, but it's also interesting to have that perspective sometimes, right? As someone who's very into another game, and then we can see, this is where it would be interesting to hear from a couple of the CS casters that like Dota, what they mm. think about our TI format. Maybe they think it's awesome, the new one, you know? True. Like, who knows? True. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I haven't seen much feedback from the CS Pro scene on this. Obviously, this came out yesterday, this uh, data mining or whatever. I think the um, Reddit thread, I mean, I briefly looked. It was negative for okay. the MR12, but that I could see. have changed. I haven't checked in like 12 hours. So I would assume that this is a, that's a major change, though. I can understand yeah, why they would be negative sure. about it, because it's something very different. It's like if we, what would be equivalent in Dota? Shortening the game somehow. Tier 5's come out at 40 minutes. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I guess there's not really an equivalent. But yeah, I, yeah, I think this would be good for, for CS, and I'm excited for CS2 to actually come out officially for everybody so I can actually start playing. I've been mm-hmm. you know, jumping in every now and then just to check out the maps and whatnot, but I can't really play with people. So yeah, just been kind of waiting for that, and I think I'll start playing a lot more when that comes out. Okay. I believe that is it for us today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks you for watching We Say Things. We appreciate you. Enjoy the qualifiers, and we'll see you next week. Peace out. We say things that don't need Subscribe. Anything, but thanks for listening.